Hi everyone, welcome back. I'm Adam Levine, Assistant Curator of European Art at the Art Gallery of Ontario, and I am pleased to be joined by friend of the AGO, Dr. Monique Johnson, for our latest episode of A Portrait of Possibilities. I've asked Monique to come on today because it's this marks the year point in our research on our wonderful portrait of a lady holding an orange blossom painted in the 1770s and its arrival at the Art Gallery of Ontario. And Monique and I have worked together to ask sort of many questions of many people. Our, so much of our project has been about considering this painting, this enigmatic and beautiful work from many different angles and consulting experts in order to ask questions about um, who made this painting? When and where did they make this painting? Who is the subject? How do we sort of understand the conditions of her life based on the clothing that she's wearing, the orange blossom in her hand? Um, and, and so I thought it'd be interesting after you know, a year of this work to sort of check in and say, where are we? What have we learned? And how has our, our understanding of the portrait and its subjects shifted in this time? And there's no one better than Dr. Monique Johnson, who has been asking great questions all along and has been conducting wonderful research. So thank you so much for joining me, Monique. Oh, thank you, Adam. It's nice to be back, uh, especially in this capacity. This was such uh, an intriguing and wonderful project that led us down these um, incredibly interesting research alleys, some of which we'll explore together today. So I thought that we could sort of gradually step back in time. So rather than immersing ourselves in the 1770s right away, let's deal with the 19th and 20th centuries. Um, since we acquired Portrait of a Lady Holding an Orange Blossom, we've learned more about Joseph Pierre, who previously owned the painting. Who was Pierre and where did he keep the painting? What was his collection like? How can we sort of, what do we know about the provenance and life of this painting before it came to the AGO? So Joseph Pierre, who lived from 1862 to 1936 in Andre, which is a region in central France, he's described in kind of the, the scant but, you know, existent literature um, on him as an homme de lettres. So he's this scholar, he's an historian, and he is also a collector, obviously. So in the few photos that you can find of him online, he is this older white man with this long gray beard. Um, he definitely fits the role of the kind of scholar that we might imagine um, from his time. He lived in a chateau, a castle called the Chateau de Charon. And how to describe this castle, it's, um, I don't know how to describe it. It's not the the Palais de Versailles, it's kind of this low-key castle or kind of a modest castle, if that term applies to this in kind of an absurd way, um, that he acquired uh, later in his life. And uh, the castle itself dates, I think, to the 15th or 16th century. Uh, his father was a justice of the peace, his mother was a singer, and he was really trained since childhood in literature and in the arts. So you asked what kind of a man he was to give you a sense of his kind of professional activities. He helped to organize local fine arts exhibitions, exhibitions and he was affiliated in various capacities with regional museums, societies, and cultural centers. So 
1907, he became the president of the Société des Beaux-Arts et Arts Décoratifs in Andre, in the region in which he lived. So I think one question that I, when we were digging into Joseph Pierre, I wondered if he might have been the man who affixed the sort of numerical sticker at the top left of the painting. Um, but I think this is pretty unlikely because we've seen other works that exited his collection that don't have similar stickers. So I assume, and I wonder what you think that in all likelihood, the painting came into his collection with the sticker already applied. I definitely think that's quite likely. As you said, we have these catalogs of the works that were in his collections upon his death. And none of those works have the same kind of inventory stamp. Um, and to you know, my kind of amateurish knowledge in the realm of inventory stamps, I'm not trained in this, but I think it, it, it probably predates his lifetime. I'm not sure if you would, I, I think you spoke to people about the possible numerical script and whether or not that dates potentially from the 18th century when the painting was made or from a later period. Yeah, I definitely, I think it's likely that, and we'll get a bit to like the conditions of the making of the painting, um, mm -hmm. but I would, I think it's probably like a sort of intermediary owner um, mm -hmm. between the first, the commissioner of this, of this portrait and Pierre that probably affixed the sticker. I think one reason that I sort of, I've grown to really admire Pierre is that he mm -hmm. doesn't remove the sticker. So mm -hmm. I'm so grateful to him for leaving this piece of information. We're no closer, I think, to really understanding um, uh, what the what the number means. But but you know he clearly is a very learned man, and mm -hmm. his restraint by not you know by refraining from having a conservator remove the number demonstrates to me that he he understood that it, it could one day be very valuable to the understanding of the painting. And so so I, I thank Joseph Pierre for that. <laughs> Yeah, I think you're right. I think he's someone who was completely aware that this is valuable. It, it bears a trace of ownership. Unfortunately, we don't know to where, but uh, he preserved it. Um, and that's fitting with his life as someone who's interested in history, arts and culture from his region and its past. So to shift gears a bit, let's, let's turn our attention to the signature, which I think is um like the number uh, label has, has, has been, has raised questions in the past, but now I think we're a little bit more confident. Uh, the painting is signed by a J. Schult, and we've had a few ideas in the past about who the artist is, but I think now we're much more confident. Who was J. Schult? Um, yeah, so when the AGO acquired the work, it was noted that uh, there was this inscription with the signature that read J. Schult Fetch It, uh, so made by J. Schult, but this is, um, as we've noted, obscured in the painting's present state. So what this suggested uh, in terms of the name is an artist of German, of Dutch, or of Flemish descent. But in our kind of preliminary research, there were no obvious matches for who this might be. Uh, in this kind of journey in which we received input from the public and from scholars um, and other curators, we came across, we were made aware of this portrait of a woman named Rebecca Steele, who 
is from New Timber, Sussex in the UK. I'm just bringing up up here in case you can see it and we can also link to it uh, below this episode. Uh, that was auctioned um, fairly recently. So this particular portrait is signed J. Schultz Pinkset and it shows an older white woman in a blue dress and she's wearing a double-stranded pearl necklace. So looking at it, there are definitely some similarities between this portrait and our painting. And the most compelling, of course, being the similarity in the signature. But I think you'll agree, Adam, that in looking at this portrait, uh, it seems to be by an artist of less talent than our portrait. It's, it's interesting because the, the semi-transparent double string of pearls is a really um, compelling link, but uh, beyond that, I don't, I don't see it. Um, and I think even more interestingly, this signature is on the reverse of the painting mm -hmm. uh, prior to lining. So, um, so we don't know. Um, this painting was useful, I think, in our in our process mm -hmm. because it 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 brought us further along, um, and it did raise this interesting question: was um, the was our artist uh, active in England? Mm -hmm. So, at auction, I think we can agree that this is not by the same hand. I think most people looking at these paintings would come to that conclusion. But um, curiously, at auction, this work was attributed to a specific artist. And this is where it kind of helps us along our journey of attribution. The artist was uh, a Dutch artist named Johan Christoffel Schultz, who lived from 1749 to 1812. So J.C. Schultz, Johan Christoffel Schultz, was a printmaker of some prominence in the Netherlands in the, the 18th century, the late 18th century. He produced uh, engravings for an eight volume description of the towns and villages of Holland. Um, he also produced these allegorical scenes, architectural images, procession scenes, and some printed portraits, including a self-portrait. So it seemed to us, and we discussed this together, somewhat unlikely, although possible, that this artist working so actively in the print medium would also have this kind of uh, side business of um, creating these large painted portraits. Um, so then in researching Johann Christoffel Schultz a little further, we discovered a very intriguing pair of portraits that are located in Deventer in the Netherlands. Deventer is a city just east of Amsterdam um, that, and we will link to these as well, that are quite, comparable to the portrait of a lady holding an orange blossom. Yeah, things really opened up when we found these paintings, I think. This really, um, suddenly I, I, was, I was confident that we had, we had found a body of work by the same painter. Mm -hmm. um, the first painting had sort of been something of a red herring, um, yes. but, but it, it was so helpful because the auction house did identify the artist by name. It really set us on this path. Um, but uh, yeah, as soon as we saw the Deventer pair of portraits, it 
um, I think we had really found our artist. Yeah, so we can describe them and when we link to them, you'll see that they're a, a pair of portraits of a husband and wife. Um, the wife wears again, a double stranded uh, pearl necklace. She has this elaborate dress and lace. Um, by contrast to our portrait, they are pictured inside. They have some kind of writing accoutrements in the case of the portrait of the man. Um, I, I think when in looking at their hands in particular, the kind of handling of the hands seems very uh, similar to our portrait. We haven't seen these in person, so that complicates things, but just looking at these digital images, uh, I think the case could be made that we're looking at uh, a quite similar, if not the, the very same artist. And I think really excitingly, we have a date of 1781, uh, which yes. closely conforms to our expectations based on the, our episode on dress, um, that our painting is made in the mid 1770s. Um, so so the, the proximity in time and the visual similarities mm -hmm. and the similarities in a period of dress, um, all of this really helps us to sort of look closely at a time and I think also at a place within society. Mm -hmm. um, sorry, go ahead. No, so I was going to say, in terms of this trail that we're tracing, the research trail, um, what we did next was that we contacted the museum and the curator um, at Daventer. And they let us know that although they were attributed to Johann Christoffel Schultz on their website, they had since been, this pair had since been reattributed to uh, Schultz's uncle, a man by the name of Jeremiah Schultz. So this kind of let us think, okay, we didn't think that the printmaker would be producing these portraits. Now this museum now thinks that it's in fact the work of the uncle. And the way they came to this determination is pretty um, rock solid in terms of evidence. This is based on the fact that the signature, they're both signed, the portrait of the husband and wife, but the portrait of the wife reads in full Jeremiah Schultz. So we have, you know, the full name of the artist in that case. And that's so, so what so what do we what do we know about this this new figure now that we've we've gone <laughs> from Johannes Christoffel Schultz to Jeremiah? What 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 survives in the archives about Jeremiah? So I have to say that in terms of receiving so much help from uh, the public in the case of um, the biography of Jeremiah Schultz, I would really like to thank Eric Heidemann in Harlem, who very generously uh, shared his research on this artist with us. And he was actually the independent scholar who helped Daventer identify the artist of their pair of portraits being by Jeremiah Schultz. This is such a, you know, this is such a great moment to acknowledge that so much of this project has been dependent on so many different people generously sharing their perspectives. And, and I think the final result is that we have this really nuanced understanding of the painting that could never have come from, from one mind. Absolutely. And it was especially nice to have that kind of collaborative effort during the time of COVID when we were all separate, you know, but alone, but together. <laughs> yeah. So what did he tell us? So he told us that Jeremiah Schultz was born in 1722 or 1723, probably in Berlin, in fact. 
So there are records that his brother came from Berlin when Jeremiah, uh, when Jeremiah acted as a witness at his wedding, at his brother's wedding, that is. Jeremiah was married twice. His first wife died quite young and he then remarried. He worked in a luxury wallpaper studio in Amsterdam from 1759 until 1762 or thereabouts. And this is kind of a studio that designed hand-painted wallpaper for wealthy homeowners. And to give you a sense of the status of such material culture, uh, the Rijksmuseum actually holds examples of their work. So if we look at the pair, um, from Deventer, we noted that there is actually a date uh, of 1781 on the portrait of uh, the man. So this is, you know, six years later than the AGO, six or so years later than the AGO's portrait. And these um, sitters are in fact named, which is actually very interesting in light of the, we'll get to this, but the uh, unknown identity of our sitter. So we know that there are portraits of Christian Slichtenbury and his wife, Anna Helena Zagarius. They are both citizens of Deventer and uh, Christian was a merchant as well as a Protestant clergyman. So that's interesting also because we've been thinking so much about the, the moment when the painting, when our painting is made as, um, you know, um, the nations of Europe as as imperial superpowers mm -hmm. that engage in in trade with different with different cities across the world, and thinking about sort of the different constellation of events that can bring different people around the world um, to say have a European painter probably you know a white European painter painting a woman of color, mm -hmm. um, so even knowing that Christian Slichtenbrie is a merchant that is sort of plays a role in this network mm -hmm. um, and, and that Schultz is painting him, I think that's very interesting. It sort of helps to sort of start to construct a bit of the, the world that Schultz is painting in. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, and then we came across a third, which ties into what you're saying about the world that uh, that Schultz painted in. Um, this third portrait, which is uh, somewhat tenuously, but we think perhaps should be more concretely attributed to Jeremiah Schultz, um, which is a portrait of an Armenian merchant living in Amsterdam, which also bears a date, in this case, uh, 1769. So this painting is uh, today in the Museum of the Armenian Monks of San Lazzaro in Venice, which um, is really a remarkable place. Um, the Armenians- Which you have been to, correct? Yes, I, 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 um, I have been to the Armenian monastery. You have to take a special vaporetto or the water bus in Venice to get to the island of the Armenians. Um, it is known for its a really privileged collection of Armenian medieval manuscripts. Um, uh, it had a special, uh, they, the monks had a special relationship with Lord Byron. So there's a fantastic mm -hmm. portrait of Byron um, in the monastery and uh, um, ancient Egyptian pharaoh's uh, sarcophagus. Um, the collection is just really, 
varied. And so I'm, I'm, while I'm kicking myself in hindsight, uh, when I was there three years ago that I didn't notice this portrait, there were so many dazzling things on the walls and in the vaults of this monastery that I'm not surprised that I missed it. And I'm really excited to go back. And I think one thing that's really key to understanding well, we don't know the name of this, this gentleman, we do know he, that he comes from Armenia. Mm-hmm. Um, and Armenians in the 18th century were um, tremendously influential figures in, this, in Europe's mercantile mm-hmm. industries, um, active in trading and working as um, merchants in major cities all around the world, um, in both Amsterdam and of course in Venice. So again, just like Christian Slichtenbrie, we have another figure that's involved in global trade routes and sort of uh, the Netherlands position as an imperial superpower in the late 18th century. Um, so I think we're even, it's, it's so interesting now that we're really starting to see that many of the subjects of Schultz's portraits fit into this cosmopolitan society in the Netherlands that's living in in a small country that sits at the center of a much larger global phenomenon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and in terms of Armenian uh, merchants and their trades, um, I just have a couple, you know, research notes that uh, in the 16th century, they're recorded as trading in pearls and diamonds, quite notably in Amsterdam. Um, and later silk really becomes the, um, the primary good traded by Armenians. And they're actually said to have controlled the Dutch silk trade um, until the mid 18th century. Um, and also a note that there were around 500 Armenians living in Amsterdam in the 18th century. So we have you know, quite accurate information or at least specific, if not accurate information. Well, and I think um, that even let, lets us look at some of the clothing in the Schultz yes, portraits with new exactly. perspective, right? About uh, the, the past that brought the silk to, to Amsterdam and to Daventur. Yeah, silk, pearls, diamonds, these very predominant features in our portrait as That's well. That's fascinating. Mm-hmm. And so, One question that I have now, of course, is thinking about Schultz and what we've learned about him, Jeremiah Schultz specifically, did he ever leave the Netherlands? And if not, then what does that mean for our sitter and the world that she lived in? So as far as we know, Jeremiah Schultz was based in the Netherlands and and didn't leave, although he may have come from Germany. Um, So, The portrait, our portrait, Portrait of a Lady Holding an Orange Blossom, was very likely painted in Amsterdam or in a town nearby, as was the case with the Daventer pair. So um, the frustrating thing, of course, is that we do not have any further record of our sitter's name as we do for the Daventer pair. and even knowing kind of the occupation or uh, the fact that we have an Armenian merchant in the other portrait. Um, But as you say, it's so interesting to think that the two other extant uh, works, the, the pair and the single portrait of the merchant are all within this mercantile community. So that kind of, you know, begs the question as to whether or not 
the woman in our portrait was the daughter of a merchant family? Um, is she as well kind of involved in this mercantile class somehow? And I think it, it, it's extremely helpful to narrow the geography of our scope as we mm -hmm. think about researching the painting because you know, I've had a few colleagues look at the um, obelisk or fountain in the backdrop of our painting and say, you know, that must be identifiable. Like that, that you know, I'm sure that if you look at enough print material or enough maps or enough mm -hmm. other paintings uh, from this period that, that one day someone will be able to match that piece of architecture to something that is known. And I think that when we narrow our scope to Amsterdam, Deventer, anything sort of within a day's ride of, the, mm -hmm. of Amsterdam in the 1770s, we may yet be able to identify that architecture and, and really situate our sitter within an actual square or public space in, mm -hmm. in the world. And so I think even that we are starting to really narrow our scope a bit. Yeah, um, I think I discussed this with Deborah Metzger when we looked at the orange blossom uh, episode and there are definitely kind of fountain or garden obelisks that that resemble this but yeah it's right that at some point it kind of begs the question about these historical erasures the fact that we don't have this name um, what can we find out in the future now knowing that we have this likely uh, a geographical point from which to start from? So when it's possible and we can dig into the archives, what can we find out about um, other communities of merchants perhaps, or even where to start um, in terms of attempting to learn more about the life that this woman lived? Do you think that the orange blossom has any special significance in Dutch culture in the 1770s as opposed to France or England? Well, absolutely. It's since William of Orange and, uh, you know, the Netherlands is, is linked to the symbolism of the orange blossom and the color orange. So we have certainly in, you know, royal family portraits, children uh, from the Dutch royal family holding orange blossoms. So there is, that's completely a possibility that this is referencing someone who is in the Netherlands uh, holding this, this symbol that represents uh, the Netherlands itself. Um, but that, that is ultimately speculation at this point. <laughs> yeah, I think that's exciting though, that there's sort of this like potential gesture of, of nationalism. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, it's like a multivalent sign. It, it stands for a lot of things, um, mm -hmm. youth and fidelity and, and so many other things that we've discussed in the past. But, but thinking about her in Amsterdam holding the orange blossom, I think is, it's, uh, it, it, it only opens more exciting questions. Yeah. So finally, um, one of Jeremiah Schultz's paintings closely resembles ours. Um, and so I wondered, what can you tell us about this painting and, and how does it fit into our broader understanding of portrait of a lady holding an orange blossom? Yeah, so we haven't addressed this yet, but this has been pointed out to us by um, members of the public. And of course we discovered this through our research as well, that there's this really intriguing uh, part of this puzzle 
uh, we know of a portrait that is signed J. Schultz Pinkset that sold at auction in 1999 and again in 2011. And so this is a portrait of a young man uh, in an elegant green jacket. And like our sitter, he is pictured outside uh, and he's holding a, an ornate uh, cane or kind of walking stick. Uh, the dimensions of this portrait are nearly identical to our portrait. Ours is just ever so slightly uh, narrower. Um, and we will link to this as well, but Adam, looking at this portrait, I mean, what can we say about this sitter? <laughs> he looks almost related to the figure in our portrait. So the question, it begs the question, are they siblings potentially? Well, and I think right away, I would say that, um, you know, that the paintings are in different states of condition. Mm -hmm. um, so it's interesting that the, the portrait of a man was sold as wearing a green jacket Mm -hmm. I think he has a yellowed varnish layer over top. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if he's actually wearing a blue jacket and if it wasn't mm -hmm. the same blue as, as our portrait of a lady holding an orange blossom. Um, like how the pair in Daventure were wearing um, clothing made from the same fabric or similar matching colors, I wouldn't be surprised if, the, if these portraits were made together, um, mm -hmm. commissioned together, they could be siblings. This could be um, uh, a young couple that is married. Um, mm -hmm. That would allow us to sort of see the orange blossom that the young thus bride is holding as a symbol of her fidelity to her husband. Mm -hmm. um, they could also be siblings. You know, I, th I think the, the age of our sitter has always been a question. She's arguably either um, a, a girl or a young woman. Um, mm -hmm. thinking, you know, within the context of, of what age at, you know, in the 1770s, someone leaves childhood and enters adulthood. So is she old enough to have just been married? Um, I find this just like so fascinating trying to parse it out. Um, in terms of the difference of size, you know, mm -hmm. both paintings are 80 centimeters high. Ours mm -hmm. is a few centimeters more narrow. It's, um, We'll work with our colleagues in conservation to see if there's any evidence of tearing or cutting along the sides of the painting, if mm -hmm. it was ever uh, made more narrow over time. That is something that happens occasionally, that a painting is um, adjusted by later collectors by folding over sides of the canvas or cutting it down to, to resize it. Um, that's just, it, 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 it really, it raises many questions, but I think what's, what's really fascinating is that um, it means that our subject wasn't alone in yeah. whatever world she was in in the moment of this painting. Um, you know, I know that that's that's a silly thing to say on some level, but you know, I, I've I've tried to approach her with empathy and mm -hmm. and, um, and and patience throughout this process. You know, she may not ever decide to reveal her identity to mm -hmm. us. But I think, you know, when I, when I see such a, a young woman and a young woman of color in the Netherlands in the 1770s, I have no idea what her life might have been like. And, and that is, you know, I'm, I'm excited to turn to scholars that work with archival information and study the lives of people of color in, in the Netherlands in this time period to understand what were the potential social conditions of her life. 
Um, but it does seem slightly less lonely knowing that um, she had someone else that, that went through a similar experience of, of posing for a painting, wearing these clothes, standing, you know, um, the, both paintings are set outdoors. Mm -hmm. it, it, there is something kind of um, comforting about knowing that, um, that this painting is, is not totally alone in the world. Yeah, that's really beautifully said. And we kind of think of them informally. We don't know this for sure as pendants. So as a kind of, you know, paired partner to our work, this work may well have been that. Um, and looking at them there, they look as well to be, uh, this is getting into the realm of connoisseurship, but by the same hand and uh, they bear the same signature so this is quite likely, in fact. It's interesting. I mean, the handling of the background is totally different. Mm -hmm. um, That's true. That's very true. Our, our subject stands in a, a sort of courtyard next to the potted orange. And there are uh, buildings that retreat um, with, you know, sort of linear perspective behind. Mm -hmm. Whereas the, her male counterpart is... Um, it's kind of hard to understand the landscape that he's in. Um, there are many trees behind him, but um, it almost appears like he's standing on top of a bluff because the trees really retreat very low to the back mm -hmm. of the canvas behind. Um, I'd love to see this painting in person. You know, I just, I would really, um, I hope I get to see it one day and that we get to study it together and sort of, um, you know, it, I wonder, is there, are there urban elements to the background? Can we see a cityscape anywhere? Or is this just the sort of um, open, expansive forest that he's standing in front of? Um, and, and, and what does that mean for him? And mm -hmm. you know, sort of compare the two spaces that these figures occupy. Um, how, how do we read them differently in, in, in their contexts? Yeah, because even though she's outdoors we can see the sky she does feel somewhat enclosed whereas the the landscape behind him suggests a different kind of openness so it's it's really exciting to me that you know we've ha had this opportunity to a year out recap what we've learned and where we've sort of arrived in our understanding of the painting and um we we now know that, the, that our, our portrait of a lady holding an orange blossom was painted in the mid 1770s by Jeremiah Schultz, an artist likely born in Berlin and you know, a migrant to the Netherlands where he establishes a career painting, not only wallpaper, but also portraits of members of the merchant class of society in Amsterdam and other cities in the environs of Amsterdam in the 17, late, late 1760s, 1770s, through the 1780s. Um, and, and we've even learned a little bit about the life that our painting has had subsequent to its creation and its move to France before it came to Toronto. So I think that, you know, I, I'll just be candid, I had very low hopes for our research when we started a year ago. You know, I was always a little bit nervous that this painting would remain a mystery in many ways, but, but we've discovered so much more than I think we ever could have hoped for. Mm -hmm. So Absolutely. I just, 
Yeah, I thank you so much because it's been so much fun to work with you and so much fun to work with our generous colleagues around the world who have lent time and resources and knowledge and, and, um, and kindness. You know, it's just been, it's been such a wonderful project. So I thank you very much. Oh, I thank you. It was a great gift to work on. And I think one that will keep on giving as well. So and I, I just, I think of in part the kind of weight this woman carries and the, what we're asking her to do is a lot. Um, and even, you know, she sits in the gallery and I just wanted to recall this poem that was written by um, Chantal Gibson, who's a Canadian poet and artist who wrote a poem in response to another work in the collection uh, by Yvonne McCaig Hauser, which is this portrait of a black a woman model thought to be named Veronica. And I won't read the poem in full, but she asks, she says, what's it like at the center of the AGO, knowing you've been placed here by kinder hands to reconcile the past, to challenge the climate of the center? I'm a sign of the times, still no one knows my name. What's it like? And I do wish we could ask this woman as well, what is it like? But um, it's, I think the potential stories that emerge through this research are very much necessary to expand the stories that we can tell about uh, European art as well. Thank you so much. And listeners, stay tuned, watch this space. I, I can only hope that we'll keep on learning and keep on sharing our discoveries with you. Thanks again. Thank you.